Thank you, choir. That was wonderful. Of course, when you get to uh, heaven, you're going to have to learn how to sing in Hebrew, but that's (laughs) just point of fact. Shalom. Good morning. Shalom. Okay. Good Hebrew speaking. That's great. I'm Mitch Glazer and president of Chosen People Ministries, and we are celebrating our 125th year of ministry. 125 years. And just to let you know, I'm not the founder. I think that that's important information for you to have. So I I come to you from uh, the Holy Land, uh, Brooklyn, New York, and I'm thrilled to be here because Randy and Sandy, who I think is wandering down here somewhere, but Randy and, and Sandy are dear friends of, of mine, and not just friends, we are, uh, we've been in the trenches together. Uh, we've been soldiering on in Argentina. Uh, at one time, uh, the work was not there, and by God's incredible grace and through a lot of hard work on their part and and uh, others, because it was a partnership with the IMB. Uh, The Lord uh, raised a congregation of now well over 100, and Jewish people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in Argentina. And, yeah, it's exciting. Chosen People has actually been in Argentina since 1942, when our missionary in Vienna fled uh, the... uh, Holocaust, and uh, went to Sweden. He couldn't stay there, and so he went down to Buenos Aires and began ministering to a lot of the other Jewish people that had fled uh, Austria and uh, began there. And so we have a long history there, but God is continuing to bless that history, and it really has been an incredible partnership uh, with the International Mission Board. Uh, This morning, I'd like to uh, ask you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It's an interesting missions passage, really. Uh, I love preaching from Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, where Jesus told the disciples to go into all the world and make disciples, to replicate themselves and then replicate him, Jesus, and to teach them everything that he taught them. And he gave that great commission right before he ascended from a hill outside of Jerusalem. And then, of course, you know, in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have some more information that we find out uh, from him, from the Lord, and that is to go into all the world, that is to go and start from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to eventually end up in Oklahoma. And so we understand what the Great Commission is all about. The Great Commission is calling upon those who love the Lord Jesus to cross cultural, linguistic, and physical boundaries to get out of their comfort zones and go to new places and new people and to proclaim the message of the gospel that transforms lives and transforms eternity. And... I just want you to know that I'm grateful for all that the Lord has done because I'm going to tell you in just a moment that I am one of those nationals, because I'm Jewish, who was reached by those whose lives were touched 
by Gentile Christians who got out of their comfort zone and went and shared the gospel with Jewish people. And so let me read Romans 1.16. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Love that baptismal t-shirt. That is the best I've ever seen. Not ashamed. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed by telling people about Jesus. You know, whenever we tell Jewish people about Jesus, in Brooklyn, which has almost a million Jewish people, or in the greater New York area, five boroughs with over two million Jewish people, twice the number of Jews as Jerusalem. Whenever we share the gospel, whether it be in Israel or Argentina or New York City, there's always a little bit of, of kickback, you know, a little pushback. And, you know, I, I come home sometimes and I say, why can't I just be a normal person, you know? I, you know, not having to press everybody to, to, to believe this gospel, and then the Lord gets hold of me and says, come on, and you're right. The Lord knows. But there's a temptation to be embarrassed. There's a temptation to be ashamed. There's a temptation to be timid, isn't there? Because this world loves darkness rather than light. And it's Jews and Gentiles. It's the nature of our sinful world, which, by the way, good news for all of us, is temporary. You know, the victory's been won. We're just working out the details. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Notice that's in the present tense. Now, I was brung up in New York City schools. And uh, I, I, I learned, some of us think I learned English as a second language. And that is partially true. But I went to seminary and learned Greek, which was great because that's how I learned English. But... So in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's in the present tense. I am currently not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power, the dunamis, the the explosive good news that radically transforms and brings people from death to life. I know that because it happened to me. Lots of people ask me, so Mitch, where would a nice Jewish boy like you be? Which already is not true, but... Where would a nice Jewish boy like you be if you weren't a missionary to the Jewish people, which coming from my relatives or from certain Jewish people is not exactly a compliment? Where would you be? I said, well, that's easy. I would be dead and in hell. Of course, their response is, sorry we asked. (laughs) But it's true. I've been transformed by the power of the gospel and continuing to be transformed each and every day. Amen is right. So it is the power of God for salvation. Present tense. It's not was the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation. And then Paul adds to everyone who believes. Everyone. Good news. The gospel is for everyone. It's one of my favorite parts about being a a missionary because even I get to go cross-culturally because Jewish people in other countries are not the same as Jewish people in, in New York City. Some speak Spanish. Some speak English. Some speak Hebrew. But there are a lot of differences. And I get to meet Christians in all of these countries. I had a real terror this, this past year where I was in... Israel, then I went to uh, uh, Korea, then I went to England, then I went to Warsaw, all in about six weeks. 
And the most wonderful thing that you experience when you, when you do something like that, and by the way, there were not a, I didn't do a lot of Jewish evangelism in Korea, just so you know. But there were a lot of Korean Christians who wanted to do Jewish evangelism, and that was wonderful. But you can walk into a room, as I felt at home here today as well, with people you've never met. They might speak a different language. They might have a different culture. But because you know the same Savior, you feel as if you're family. And that's a beautiful thing about the gospel. It's the power of God for everyone, everybody, cross-cultural. God knows no boundaries because he's the creator of us all. And then Paul says, again, present tense, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. Now, you can take this a number of different ways. If you say it's to the Jew first, in other words, Jesus came to the Jews first, the Jews didn't exactly throw a party, and then he went to the Gentiles. Well, if you say that, number one, you lose the present tense. And Paul was not writing in 30 A.D. He was writing in 60-something A.D. And so there's been some time. And so it's not that the gospel was to the Jews first, Jew first. It is to the Jew first. And Paul should know he was Jewish. And Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So I guess he had, you know, mixed agendas, maybe. So the gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And and the question that really should be answered is, because this is the inerrant, perfect word of God. You agree with me on that one, don't you? Okay. And so because this is the perfect, inerrant word of God, there's no mistakes, there's no error. What God said, he means. And there was an old commentator on uh, on prophecy, who said, when the plain sense, sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. That's a good rule of thumb for reading the Bible. God says what he means, means what he says, and keeps his promises. And so, when Paul says the gospel is to the Jew first, what does he mean? He means the gospel's to the Jew first. Not was to the Jew first. Or Paul was very bright. He could, not like me, he could have figured out how, that he should use the past tense. So the gospel is still to the Jew first. Now, you can take that sequentially, one, two, three, or in other ways. If you take it sequentially, it means Oklahoma would never get evangelized because we'd all still be working on Brooklyn. So it's not what Paul means. There's a lot of different ways to understand the little Greek word first, and my favorite way to understand it is that it is a matter of priority of heart and soul. So whether you go to Argentina or Poland or Korea, no matter who you are, where you're from, whether you're a Christian from Malaysia or the Philippines, no matter who you are, what you do, God wants you to bring the gospel to the Jew first. Now, in Paul's situation, he did it literally. Throughout the book of Acts, where did Paul go? He went to the synagogues. Didn't win man of the year every year, every time he went. But he went to the synagogue, and then after the synagogue, where did he go? He went to the Gentiles. And he kept doing it even though he kept getting rejected. So he must have meant it. The beautiful thing about the Apostle Paul, who's my, well, one of my favorite Bible characters. But I love Paul because he always, he he did what he said. (laughs) And I love that about Paul. 
If you want to know Paul's theology, look at what he did. Look at what he did. And so Paul took the gospel to the Jew first. So the question that we have is what does it mean? I think it means we should have make Jewish evangelism a priority so that Jewish evangelism never becomes the great omission of the great commission. And so we need to have the Jewish people on our heart, on our soul, because God is not finished with the Jewish people yet. The Jewish people still play a very important role in the plan of God. Now, don't think that Jewish people take any great pleasure in that. There's a great scene in Fiddler on the Roof. You've all seen that movie? Yeah. Um, it's, it's still on Broadway, both in English and Yiddish. It's very hard to explain Yiddish, but Yiddish was the uh, Germanic-sounding language that's written in Hebrew characters that Eastern European Jews spoke and what my parents spoke when they didn't want me to know what they were saying. So it's in English and Yiddish in New York City right now. And there's this great scene where Reb Tevye, the milkman, you know, with the three daughters who wouldn't marry who he wanted them to marry. Remember that part? I have two daughters and, you know, similar situation. But anyway, so Tevye is told by this captain of the Ukrainian army that he needs to get out of the little town of Anatevka and move to Tel Aviv or Brooklyn somewhere because the Cossacks are about to come in and destroy the Jews. And Tevye walks to the side and he, he looks up to heaven in a, in a very poignant moment. And he says, Lord, next time, choose somebody else. You know, I've been reading through the book of De- Deuteronomy. And it's a, it's a wonderful book. Fifth one in the five books of Moses. Try it. It's great. And so I've been reading through the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, again, the Lord reiterates that he did not choose the Jewish people because they were the largest in number but the fewest. Now, one of the reasons, of course, he did choose the Jewish people is because Jewish people are generally better looking. It's not in Deuteronomy, but, I, but I'm sure it would have been there if Moses thought of it. And he goes on to say, and it's, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of a grace covenant that you can find in the older New Testament. There was nothing you did to deserve it, but rather I chose Abraham and called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, opened the the womb of Sarah at a very elderly age in an incredible miracle, and gave her a child who became the forefather of the Jewish people. And, you know, it's so astounding that when God wanted to do something to bless the world, Genesis 12, 3, I'll bless... All those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed, right? Through the Bible, through the Messiah. When God decided to bring, to use a group of people to bless the world, he made one. (laughs) He didn't go eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Italians, Germans, Polish people, no. What God did is he actually performed a miracle in the womb of Sarah, and created a people for his own namesake. So in what way do the Jewish people deserve to be chosen? (laughs) No way. But God chooses who he uses, and he does that. So what did Paul know? Well, you need to make a, a left at Romans and go back 
to Matthew. And this is taught in many other places in the Bible, but this is one of the clearest portions where we see Jesus himself attaching his second coming to the repentance of the Jewish people. Now, Paul does it too, but this is where Jesus does it. So Jesus is at the end of his rope. It's Matthew chapter 23. In the beginning of chapter 24, we enter the tribulation prophetically. But this is Matthew 23, and we're just going to read verses 37 through 39. So look at it with me. Again, the Jewish leaders have constantly rejected Jesus, and so he now looks them straight in the eye and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Now look at the next, path, next line. Instead of saying, because you have disregarded everything that I've given to you, I'm about to zap you which is exactly what I would do. You've you've made me intolerably impatient. But that's not our Savior. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I mean, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus loved his own people. And he says, you were unwilling Verse 38, behold your house, which is a reference to the temple. In rabbinic literature, the Hebrew word is habayit, which means the house. It's a direct reference to the temple. This is the only particular judgment upon the Jewish people who rejected Christ at his first coming. This is, this is it. So behold, the temple, your house, is being left to you desolate, That was fulfilled in 70 AD. A lot of the details about this destruction is added in Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13 in the Olivet Discourse. Your house is going to be left to you desolate. And then in verse 39, he says, For I say to you, from now on you will not see me, which I think was probably a more profound judgment than the destruction of the temple, Because these Jewish people, a lot of them were expecting him to reign as king, overthrow the Romans, and now he's telling them, listen, you don't want me the way I want to be wanted? You're not going to listen to me? I'm leaving. To me, that's the worst judgment. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me. And then comes the most precious little Greek particle word in the entire New Testament for me, Until. Don't you just love that word? Until. I'm leaving. If you don't want to worship me as your messianic king in the way you're supposed to, then I'm leaving. And you will not see me until. Thank God. Now look carefully at your New Testaments, okay? You will not see me until you say... Now, look at your, your, your Bibles. Until you say, Baruch haba Bashem Adonai. Do you see that? What? Oh, I'm using the New American Standard. You might be using the ESV. Or you've got some kind of Holman Study Bible, okay? 
You will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The very words that a rabbi says when the bridegroom comes to take his bride. In other words, Jesus is saying, you will not see me. I'm leaving. You will not see me until you recognize that I am the true bridegroom of Israel which means the Jewish people have a future, a destiny as a nation. And that's a good thing, because if not, then God would be proven unfaithful to his promises. And if God is unfaithful to his promises to Israel, what about the church? So the day is coming when the Jewish people will turn to Jesus, and Jesus will return. That's what the Bible teaches. Paul affirms this. Back to Romans 11. He says in chapter 11, verse 12. I'll give you a minute to catch up. In verse 12, Paul writes, If their transgression, the rejection of Christ, is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Again, there's a future. And then verse 15 For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So there's a future for the Jewish people, but that future is all connected to Jesus. So Jewish people have the same bright future that Christians have because we only have a bright future when we're connected to Jesus. And that's coming. Verse 25, for I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will be wise in your own estimation. A partial hardening has happened to Israel. That's good because I'm I'm here and I'm not hard. So that's good. So a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So brothers and sisters, take note of that phrase. Again, God means what he says. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's another until. So what is in the future of world Gentile missions? I'll tell you what's in the future. A conclusion. Gentile missions is on the clock, which means you need to give and you need to go and you need to pray now because tomorrow is coming. Jesus said, you can only work while the day, the night's coming. And by the way, if you have the email of the last Gentile, I would like you to send that to me because I really want to witness to that person. I don't care where they live, what language, or what country I'm going. And Randy's coming with me. So it'd be a little missions trip, Randy. So until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. It's, it's consistent throughout the New Testament. The day is coming when the Jewish people will turn to Christ and Jesus will return. Now, we need to prepare for that because faith comes through hearing the word of God. And so for 125 years, Chosen People Ministries in 18 countries and 25 cities in North America, we have been leading Jewish people to the Lord because we want Jewish people to get saved now. We don't want them to wait. But we've also been preparing hearts 
for that day that we know is coming, we just don't know when, when Jewish people will turn and Jesus returns. Now, until then, what do we do? In fact, whose job is it to tell Jewish people about Jesus? Well, Paul writes in verse 11, remember, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? In other words, when the Jewish people rejected Jesus in the first century, at least the leaders rejected Jesus, they did not then permanently stumble out of God's plan for the future. Paul says, no way, may it never be. Read the rest of the chapter. He didn't say that, but may it never be. But salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, I, need, I do this little uh, quiz, and I, I just a little survey, and I'm just curious. Uh, I've not done it at this church before, but how many Gentiles do we have here this morning? Would you raise your hand, please? Wow, an overwhelming number. Hey, listen, welcome to the Messiah. <laughs> I'm so glad. Well, being... A, being a Gentile who believes in Jesus has been pretty good, huh? Absolutely. So the Lord has saved Gentiles in this day and age, and we're so thrilled for that. But salvation has come to the Gentiles, but there's another little clause there where Paul says to make them, what? Jealous. To make them jealous. Who's the them? The Jewish people. Why? Because the Jews need to turn to Christ. Why? So that Jesus returns. So who's got the job? Y'all. I know that this is important. I came to the Lord through two of my best Jewish friends who came to the Lord through Gentile Christians. Now, I have a long story, and you can watch it on ifoundshalom.com. We have 100 Messianic Jewish video testimonies, ifoundshalom.com. You don't even have to witness to your Jewish friend. You can just send them a URL. But they're wonderful testimonies. But I was raised in a uh, traditional Jewish home in New York City that meant In my home, that meant we kept kosher in the house and then uh, could eat uh, bacon in a restaurant. (laughs) I hope this is not being recorded. Anyway, so. (laughs) So, very typical Jewish home. At the age of 13, I had my bar mitzvah. I became a son of the commandments. It was a very orthodox synagogue where I went for training. I went for six years of training four days a week, and uh, probably knew the Bible fairly well. Uh, I loved the Bible, but I didn't really embrace the Jewish religion in the way probably my grandparents wanted me to. And so after I had my uh, bar mitzvah, and I was uh, in New York City, and traditionally at your bar mitzvah, you uh, you get stock and fountain pens. I don't know why that is true. Uh, but anyway, so I had, I, I had a lot of stock and fountain pens, but I don't think my faith made it through. So I love being Jewish. I even love the Old Testament, but I knew that I didn't believe it. 
and I didn't believe in the Jewish religion. I celebrated all the holidays, but I would have probably considered myself somewhere between an agnostic and culturally Jewish and all that. And uh, my, my parents were really like that also. And then uh, I eventually went to uh, college and made it through a half a semester. Uh, my, my, my major was a little difficult to sustain. I majored in unregistered pharmacy <laughs> and minored in marketing. For those of you who didn't get it, ask your friend. <laughs> and so I dropped out of college in Connecticut, and along with my best friend, Ephraim Goldstein, Italian. So Ephraim and I went all the way to the only place in the world you could find the answers to life, and we all know where that was, San Francisco. <laughs> and so we got to San Francisco, and we joined forces with Ephraim's brother, Baruch, that's a Hebrew name that means blessing, and he was not, and his friend, Moskowitz, Jan Moskowitz, so it was Glazer, Goldstein, and Moskowitz, sounds like a law firm, right? It was not. And so I continued my career until one day, a group of, of people did not embrace our flower power lifestyle, and uh, actually... Ten guys with shotguns and pistols came onto the houseboat which we had just built in Sausalito, California, where we were living. And you haven't lived till you've had a sawed-off shotgun pushed against your neck with your hands tied behind your backs saying, where's the rest of the drugs when you didn't actually know where they were? Because I don't know. It's not the answer they were looking for. And so my whole young 18-year-old life flashed in front of my eyes. didn't take long. And all I could think of at that moment when I was going to get my head blown off was, I can't believe I'm doing this for $300. And so for some miraculous reason, they left. They stole the drugs, which the guy who gave us the drugs got 20 armed guys and got the drugs back, which was good because then we didn't have to pay for them. And on, of that group of people, every one of these guys, me, Ephraim, Janabrook, we all accepted Jesus about the same time. We all became missionaries to the Jews for years and years and years. Now, I can't give you the rest of the story, but I want to tell you how it I got to that point. It's very interesting. We had one other friend, a young lady, who came out to live on the houseboat with us, saw our lifestyle, and said, you guys are terrible. I'm getting out of here. And so she went, and the cheapest mode of transportation at that time was not JetBlue or Spirit Air, but the cheapest way of transportation was to hitchhike. So this 16-and-a-half-year-old Jewish girl from New York City, she's pretty young, was hitchhiking in Northern California because she heard about a concert in the state of Oregon. And she was standing there hitchhiking by herself. Car pulls up and says, where are you going? She says, in or to Oregon. And uh, they say, yeah, we're going to Oregon. Get in the car. 
and she gets in the car, and they take off, and the young woman, it was a young woman and her husband, the young woman turns around to my friend and says, so honey, are you saved? Jews are not raised with the lingo, so she said, from what? (laughs) And she said, you know, do you believe in Jesus? And my friend Joan said, oh, no, of course not, I'm Jewish. Well, it so happened she was picked up by a couple of two-week-old, on-fire, born-again ex-bikers who had no idea that when a Jewish person said that, they should be sensitive and not push the gospel on them. So they turned around. She turned around. He was driving. She turned around and began sharing the gospel with her for 12 hours, which was really miraculous because she only had a half hour's worth of Bible information. And my friend was trying to jump out of the car, but it was a little, it was going a little fast. Finally, they got to Coos Bay, Oregon, where these guys were living in a Christian commune. Are any of you old enough to remember the Jesus movement? Okay, look it up in Wikipedia. It's really, it's good. And so, anyway, uh, she moved in to this commune with them because she was now a believer, found out she needed to tell her friends about Jesus, came back down to San Francisco to tell me about Jesus and my friend Ephraim about Jesus. Uh, She found us. She started telling us. Very sensitive. She said, Mitch, Ephraim, I've got good news. I said, what's that? You're both going to hell. So I didn't really, I really didn't see what was good about that. But Ephraim thought it was pretty cool. And so he went up to Oregon. He got saved. They began praying behind my back. I went up to Oregon because I was convinced they were brainwashed and drugged. And so I went up to Oregon to get them out of the cult. We weren't even using that word back then. I went out to get them. And instead of me getting them, every question I had, they said, well, it's in your Bible. Oh, was he tricky? The guy was running this place. He said, you see, the thick part's all yours. I said, yes, it is. <laughs> and I liked it from being, from, as a kid. I read through the Bible and finally asked God to show me the truth went back down to San Francisco where I was working at a campground for the Marin County Board of Education, which, by the way, won the award as the most liberal board of education in the globe, okay? And so, if there was an award. Anyway, so I was working for them in an outdoor education program 60 miles south of San Francisco in a a campground, which, by the way, turned out to be a Christian retreat center that we rented during the week but had retreats during the summer and during the weekends. I didn't know anything about Christianity, so I had no idea what it... I didn't know what a Christian was, and I definitely didn't know what a retreat center was. And I don't think anybody on our staff even understood that. But one day, I just... You know, the Hound of Heaven poem? You know, I just... All I could think about was Jesus. And I really loved my Bible, and I really wanted that relationship with God. I just wanted it without Jesus, because if it was with Jesus, I'd have to tell my mother, and then I was dead, you know? So I prayed, God, show me the truth, and that night, one of my kids wanted to make a phone call to his mother, 
And you never do that, but I, he, he wouldn't stop crying. So I went down to the phone booth, and on the ledge of the phone booth, the one phone booth in this campground, I noticed a little book glowing in the moonlight. Admittedly, a lot of things were glowing for me, but this was, this was glowing through the moonbeams. And I looked at it, and you, you ever have one of those that's-there-for-you-buddy moments, you know? And so I, I picked it up, and it was cleverly disguised, but in very small writing, it said, modern English version of the New Testament. So I figured it out. Pretty bright, huh? I asked God to show me the truth, found a New Testament on the ledge. What would you do? I stole it. <laughs> I read it. In three nights, I didn't, barely slept. I loved it so much. It seemed so much like the old part. But I loved it so much, especially the Sermon on the Mount. And, and finally, I discovered something that maybe you don't know, but I didn't know it. Jesus was Jewish. Could you believe it? Hey, listen, if you can find me once where Jesus celebrated Christmas, I'll give you a dollar. But he celebrated Hanukkah and Passover, and tabernacles. And I realized it was Jew versus Jew. And it wasn't long before I believed he was the Messiah, and I gave my heart to the Savior. And he began transforming me and a lot of my friends and called me to serve him, which I've been doing now for almost 50 years. My dear friends, it all started because an on-fire, brand-new, born-again, Gentile Christian turned around and just said, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And I can't tell you, at least being president of Chosen People for the last 22 years, a lot of people have heard the gospel. In fact, our messianic video testimonies are now running somewhere around 40 million views. Yeah. We need you to reach Jewish people. Sometimes that's going to come through giving. Sometimes that's going to come from going. And a lot of times that's going to come from praying. (laughs) And my hope in prayer is that God will use you to make Jewish people jealous with the glorious truth that Jesus is the Messiah for all. Let's pray. Abba, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you continue to open our eyes, open our hearts, cause us to draw close to you. And today we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You promised that they would prosper who love thee. And we love Jerusalem because you love Jerusalem. And we love what you're going to do in the future. But Lord, some of us have really good Jewish friends and relatives. And Lord, we pray that they won't have to wait until then because they may not live to see it. And those who die without you live without you forever. And so, Lord, we pray this morning for our Jewish friends and neighbors and loved ones. We pray, Lord, that you might use us 
and use chosen people missionaries around the globe to reach them with the good news that Messiah has come and his name is Jesus and one day he will come again. We pray in his glorious name. Amen.